Okay, guys, welcome back to the Humanity Institute's podcast. You're joining me for my 65th episode. Man, we're four episodes shy of the big, the best number there is, 69. <laughs> um, I'll think of a funny guest to go on for 69, something that's like uh, appropriate, maybe someone who plays a lot north-south. But for today, I'm with Ashley Williams. What is up, Ashley? Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm good, thanks. Mm. Uh, guys, you all know Ashley. You all love him. He's the fucking, he's not just champ. He's not just champ. He's not just champ champ, sorry. He's champ champ champ. Motherfucker has three goddamn belts in three different weight divisions at Polaris. So man, fucking hell. That's really goddamn impressive. So many people many people just have one, very few have two, and then there's three. So how, how the fuck did you get three, man? Sort of get in. Uh, I um I speak about this quite a lot with a lot of people. I'm uh I don't, I, I quite like, I don't really enjoy when people, someone mess me saying hi, triple champ, and that. Like, um, you know, I only had four matches on Polaris, uh, being 4 0. Uh, I was fortunate in the position I was to get offered the, the matches I got offered. Uh, one of the things I'm, I'm super, super happy with with regards to Polaris is the the level of competition that I was fa- uh, I faced. The, the weight classes are neither here nor there, really, because I, I believe all of the competitors I fought. Could pretty much do any of the weight classes I won titles in, uh, apart from 61. I don't, I don't know if Ethan um, and Tom would be making 61. Uh, so you know, I was really, really fortunate to to compete against those those caliber guys, and it, I'm more concentrated and more concerned about my performance rather than the the titles themselves. You know, like uh, I think like uh, just recently being ranked on the flow rankings uh, was really cool, but again. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know if you took the best 20, 30 guys in the world and, and we all compete against each other in a round robin, uh, you know you can't guarantee that the list is going to repeat itself in the same order the rankings are. Uh, you know anyone can kind of win on any given day, uh, and I was just really really grateful for the opportunity the players have given me to compete against some of the the highest talent in the world. You know it is really cool to have titles, uh, primarily because it gets me higher up on the card, and it gives me great opportunity to call out bigger and better names all the time you know so that's the the main reason i'm really excited about uh holding the division titles because next year i plan on defending all three uh and then putting my focus just to the 145 title Mm. Uh, man see what sort of weight do you walk around at anyway because like i'm sort of trying to pin down which one you're at because i imagine okay which ones you have you have the one you have the 145 175 and 150 right or what's One, the deal? One thirty-five, one forty-five. Sorry, and one forty-five and one fifty-five. Oh, uh, okay. But I walk around probably like at my heaviest, and this would be like you know kind of eating what I want and, and not training too hard. Uh, probably one sixty, uh, and then in in kind of good shape and and training uh frequently, especially like in the summer months where uh I'm not kind of a comfort eating. Uh, I probably walk around like one fifty-two, uh, one fifty-three. So just below 70 kilograms. Mm. Uh, so like, would you describe like the sort of weight cutting process for you as like strenuous at all at all? Or would it just be like uh, for, part, part for, and parcel? Uh, for 155, obviously, it's just my walk around weight. So uh, I pretty much just eat what I want. And if anything, I actually try to get a little bit heavier. Um, and still, I, I think like I don't eat like worse foods. I just eat more food. Um, I rather like have to feel like I want to make the weight and I want to be hungry for the weight rather than just be uh, chilling and be like, ah, it's no stress. And I just start eating cakes and stuff and don't feel good, like physically good. So if I was competing at 155, I try to walk around at 160. 
and then on the weaker competition, then I, I do uh, a similar process. What I would do at 145 and 135. Uh, 145 was my last match, uh, so that just required um, good nutritional information, which fortunately I've got a ton of support around me, which helped me out with that. Uh, one of my students, Aiden, was very, very clued up on it, and over the years, you know, I kind of pinched stuff off him, and and he showed me a lot of things. Uh, but now I, I definitely knowledgeable enough to make 145 quite comfortably. Uh, it only took me 30, 40 minutes in the bath um, when I fought Tom. So I was walking around at 155 probably a week out and then just put the water up, dropped the carbs out, uh, played around with uh, a bit of my food to, to make sure that I was still getting... I was still eating over 2,000 calories a day, so that's always good, but just dropped the carbs to minimal and then um, dropped the water out last minute and uh, sat in the bath. Uh, 135 is is much more strenuous. I have to like properly diet and be like, I try to be 145, 148 the week out, and then uh, that requires some some good sauna and some good hot bathing, uh, especially for the last like two to four pounds. Um, and it, you know it can. Like, I made it three or four times now, and like two two three times been comfortable. Uh, it, you know it does get difficult the last pound or two pounds. It's definitely very, very difficult because I feel like I'm quite big for that weight in terms of height and like my the length of my limbs, etc. I don't feel small for the weight class, you know. So uh, I definitely want to get back there to compete at 135 because uh, I feel like a lot of people, um, there's a lot of guys down that weight that I want to compete against, especially Xiao Miao, um, which was meant to happen. So, you know, we'll see what happens next year, which, which kind of belt I can defend first and who I can compete against. Uh, but in an ideal world, I would compete 135 next year, then maybe 155, and then just stay at 145 and just successfully defend all three and then vacate two and just keep the 145 and then just keep trying to win that over and over again. Mm. Well, that's pretty pretty good strategy there, my man. See, one thing I'm curious about with each of my guests when I get out, get them on is like, how did you first sort of get started in jiu-jitsu? Did you train, it, train anything else before starting it? Uh, so I've always done martial arts pretty much my whole life. Uh, I trained in traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu uh, from the age of six. Uh, that was all for self-defense purposes. And then I actually got to about 14, 15, and I, I asked my coach. Uh, I was training under a female coach called Kelly at the time, um, who I trained with pretty much my whole uh, childhood. And I said, look, I want to compete. You know, I really, really want to compete in jiu-jitsu. Uh, I want to give it a go, you know, nothing, I, I didn't have like aspirations in terms of being like a world level competitor, I was like, look, I'm, you know, I'm coming down three, four times a week, I'm learning all this, this skill set, I was like, I just want to put it to test, you know, I want to test myself out and put myself in a position where I get an opportunity to trial what I'm learning against resistant opponents, you know, um, and she was like, well, look, we don't really compete, you know, like we, we, we haven't really got a big competition circuit, she never competed herself, so it was really limiting in terms of what I was able to uh, do there, and um, she actually recommended. She said, "Oh, look, I've heard of this gym called uh, Chris Reese Academy. The other side of Swansea, uh, they do a form of jiu-jitsu called Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which we didn't really know what what it was at the time. Um, I had no idea. It was just like the groundwork portion or anything. You know, she said, look, I, you know, I think it's very similar to what we do, but I'm aware they compete.' And I was like, okay, cool. I'll just I'll go try it out. Uh, I just went down." Uh, I actually asked if I could do the adult class, uh, but I was just about, I, was, I think it was a week before my 15th birthday, and Chris had quite a strict policy at that time um, to not let kids train the adult classes. Um, so we, me and my brother, uh, twin, my, my twin brother came, uh, we went along, 
And uh, we actually rolled in front of Chris and we showed him some, he asked us questions on stuff, if we knew certain positions and certain techniques. And he actually phoned us back that night and said, oh, look, you know, I watched you guys roll. Uh, I think, you know, you're probably too advanced for the kids' classes or kind of, you know, you know, you're, you already know what we, we kind of go over in the kids' classes. So why do you come along to dad's class, you know? And I felt like really privileged and I was really, really happy, uh, like super stoked to be able to go back and, and then do the dad's class. But then I actually remember my first ads class I ever did. I went to train like on a Tuesday night, me and my brother. And um, at this point, we were sharing a bedroom. Uh, we were 15 years old and uh, we were obviously in uh, school. And uh, we both woke up the next day and I looked across and I was like, are you are you feeling like I'm feeling? He was like, what do you mean? I was like, I can't, I can't move. I can't sit up, man. I'm totally, totally like bollocks. Like, my whole body's in pain. <laughs> and um, But back then, we used to do a lot more like brutal conditioning warm-ups, you know, like loads of like body weight stuff. It was far, far more uh, probably over the top, to be honest. And, and obviously, the rounds were always just kill or be killed. Uh, it wasn't much like smart training back then. And, and like we both just sitting there, and I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can go to school today. And also, I like... Shut! I'm like, ma'am, ma'am. I was like, we have to, we have to call, we have to go call, call sick. Like, I, I can't, I, I can't score. I can't get out of bed, you know. So we, I think we both had the day off, and then we turned up the next day. And, and funny enough, my science teacher, my biology teacher, actually trained uh, in the gym. He trained in in the academy that I, I just started at, and um, he was my, uh, he was one of my favorite teachers anyway. And uh, he, he said to me, he's like, oh, you know, like you should try it out, and we should talk about. He, he was a judo black belt. We discussed it quite a lot. And um, I turned up the day after to school, and he's like, "Where were you guys yesterday?" And I was like, "I was like, sir, you don't understand. Like, I just can't feel anything from my 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 neck down." And he just laughing. He was like, "Ah, oh, you get used to it. No, don't worry." And uh, you know, he was always fun to talk to about shit. So we'd go like, I'd go like in his uh, in the classroom and watch like uh, he used to watch a lot of Neil Adams. I watched a lot of Neil Adams with him of judo highlights, uh, especially obviously Neil Adams armbar setups, uh, which was really cool. So, you know, I've kind of done it for a prolonged period. And I tell a lot of people, you know, when they, when they ask me, like, uh, you know, it's not like one of those like, movie montages where, like, I'm sitting there in my bedroom when I'm 15, like, envisioning myself being a world champion. You know, that's not really... Like, if it, I, I was literally sitting there thinking, well, I'll just be a school teacher. Uh, you know, I'll go to the university, I'll be a school teacher. And then in my downtime then, I'll just do as much as I can and compete every now and again and, and travel when I get the opportunity. That's kind of, like, what my life kind of goal was when I was younger and then when I started doing jiu-jitsu I was like oh I, I really really enjoy it I love competing and uh at the time I was like playing rugby football uh, I was doing gymnastics for my county um I, I, you know pretty much any sport you think of I was kind of taking part in uh representing my school or or the city I lived in and um just gradually I just quit I just quit every single one I just quit over like the space of five six years I was just, every single evening, I was just like, oh, man, I won't go rugby tonight, I'll go jiu-jitsu. And I was just, just quitting everything I was doing, just jiu-jitsu as much as I could. Uh, but back then, to do jiu-jitsu as much as I could, uh, there was only like three classes a week, you know. So <laughs> like, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't much opportunity. So as soon as I was able to, I started actually traveling to Cardiff with my, with my coach. So I was training in Cardiff twice a week because he was coaching twice in Swansea, twice in Cardiff. So I used to travel to Cardiff twice a week with him. Uh, we used to talk about jiu-jitsu in the car then I trained jiu-jitsu in Cardiff then I would drive back to Swansea and then the next day I would train in Swansea and I just kept doing that for, as long as I could so you know I was, I was training maybe five six days a week but it was only like an hour and a half session um, and you know just making the most of what you know jiu-jitsu was considered you know like good training back then was considered um, like the setup people have got now is just it's just stupidly different than 
um, the the levels people can achieve uh, in this time frame is is far far quicker. You know, like I think when you look at a lot of like the old school UK guys like uh, like Ross Nichols and myself, uh, even Dan Strauss and other guys, you know, like if you think about what how long we've been in the sport, it might be you know ten years plus. You know, for me it's like fourteen years. And then you get a lot of guys now, and they're like, oh, I've only trained five years, and they're a killer already. But my point is, is they didn't have us showing them, like, modern, good, com- competitive jiu-jitsu. You know, like, the the time has moved on. So I think, like, if you train two or three years now, you could probably get as good as what someone was training five or six years 20 years ago. Hmm. So, like, I, I think it's a really important factor when um, you look at... Uh, some of the guys who've been training a long time, you're like, oh, how are you only that good and trained that long? You know, like everything in the world is getting better as time goes on. Like if you compare rugby players or uh, one of my favorite things to compare is actually the Olympics. When you compare like Olympians now compared to Olympians when it first started, uh, I saw one the other day where I was comparing like a woman's vault, like what was the winning, what, what was the winning vault uh, from the first Olympics ever to the winning vault of the last Olympics. And they're not they're not even remotely comparable, you know. So it does show that um, it does show that obviously sports evolve and the knowledge and information evolves, and it allows people to definitely progress a lot quicker within the field. So mm-hmm. I'd only consider myself as trained jiu-jitsu um, properly for maybe like six or eight years, six six to eight years since I left university. Because when I left university at twenty one, I'm twenty eight now. Um, as soon as I left university, you know, I started doing jiu-jitsu full-time. But I had to coach, you know, to, I had to coach every day of the week to, to make a living. Um, and I wasn't really just training full-time. I was coaching and, and living jiu-jitsu full-time, living with, still living with my parents. Uh, my girlfriend was living with, with my parents with me because uh, obviously we couldn't afford our own place and that. So, um, you know, as time's gone on, like, life's got easier and I've been able to train more uh, what I'd class as full-time, what I'd class mm. as, like, how an athlete should train. Um, and I definitely think that a lot of guys coming through now are, de- uh, are progressing a lot quicker, um, just off the fact that there's other people doing what they want, what they want to do. You know, uh, like I feel like I'm, especially in Wales, uh, for a lot of uh, athletes or students, I'm probably one of the people who are doing like the first. You know, like same as Fionn. Fionn's winning a lot of things, and she's proven that uh, you can achieve the things even though you're from Wales, even though you're from a small team. <laughs> I mean, like, Even though you're from Wales, like you're making it sound like it's a disability to be from Wales or something. <laughs> no, but but you're not. You're it's not, just uh, the way you phrased that. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. But you're not from at. You know, you're not from Atos. You're not from Gracie Baja. You're not from. You know, you're not from these big teams with world champions after world champions of lineage, uh, showing you techniques every day. You know, like a lot of people, like same as. Uh, a lot of Americans now, you know, like Michael Musumeki, Keen, and Gordon, like they're just proving that like Brazilian just is not just about Brazilians, and it's taken years and years and years for that to happen. If you look back at all the world's um, figures, you know, there's only like five or six non-Brazilian medalists. Never mind uh, winners. I'm talking about medalists, like gold, silver, bronze on the podium is only five or six non-Brazilians. So it's, it's a pretty crazy feat when someone from UK, Wales, Ireland, whatever, from a small team does achieve something that technically the odds were stacked against them, you know. So uh, I definitely think the is moving in the right direction. And, um, you know, it's, it's good that we've got a lot of guys out there now who are competing at the world level and proving that that's possible because it makes a lot of other people want to do the same thing. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of probably how I'd say, you know, like on my jiu-jitsu journey. 
Um, and now I'm just grateful I get to compete and earn a living from jiu-jitsu. Like, everything else is extra, you know? Like, I enjoy competing, just test myself. If I win or lose, I'd still compete. And I've always wanted to make a living out of jiu-jitsu to not have to work a nine-to-five. Uh, and, you know, I've got both of those things. So, um, everything I achieved past this now, for me, is just, like, a bonus punch, you know? It's just it's lovely to be able to do. And uh, it's really grateful for, for the opportunity to do it, you know? Mm. Yeah, see, speaking of competitions, what was your first sort of few competitions like? And when did you first sort of notice you sort of uh, that you're getting really good at it? Like, oh, man, I can I okay. I I whoop some of these better guys when you start so, noticing that. I get asked a lot about this while competing. They're always like, oh, do you always used to win? And I was like, I was like no. Like, I'm pretty sure the f- it took me, I think, three tournaments to win a match. And in the first tournament, I, I, I lost like three matches in a row. And they weren't just like two nils. It was like... 28 nil you know like i got i i got some serious beatings you know i think the first tournament i ever won um was hereford open when you started from your knees and they were like three minute matches or something like that you know something crazy like it was, it was, it was actually posted on my, my instagram uh, a few months back about the, the one of the first ever tournaments i won which was yeah, it was a hereford open division um so my brother uh obviously was uh training and competing as well so, like, up through white and blue belt, uh, pretty much he would win almost everything. Um, and I would uh, maybe podium or take silver to him because uh, we, we were doing the same weight. Uh, you know, realistically, he got injured and had to have some knee surgery and some stuff, so he had some setbacks. Uh, he's planning to compete. Uh, he was planning to compete this year, but we'll have to do it next year now. Um, but I, I kind of noticed I started getting a little better probably about purple belt. Um, so at Purtle Belt, I really, I still won a fair bit of white and blue. You know, I won the British Open of white and blue. Uh, I won a few other tournaments, which were, were good tournaments to win. But I definitely didn't consider myself um, a good competitor or good at the sport. I was just turning up and just be, you know, just being like a dog, you know, just like absolutely just put, putting everything into I could uh, and hoping for the, the, the kind of best result I could could get on the day. But at Purtle Belt, like, um, I had one year at Purtle Belt where I had like, 50 plus I think 54 matches and I only lost four matches now I know competitors these days you know could get like 100 or 200 matches in a year uh but that like that those 54 matches was pretty much every tournament you could have done in the UK mm. as in like I literally I drove I drove from Wales to Scotland uh I flew to Ireland like I did almost every tournament you could do that was available on the competition calendar to get that many matches in uh, and that year, I won the the Welsh, the English, the Irish, the Scottish, Scottish and Irish absolutes, silver and the Welsh absolute. Um, I won the British. Uh, I won the Abu Dhabi Pro Trial, uh, like the Abu Dhabi Pro UK tournament. Um, and the only tour- I only lost one match in my weight division, and I only lost three. And the other three, I lost in absolutes, and they were all by like two points. You know, I didn't really get smoked at all. I didn't really have a bad match so it started getting to the point at that stage people were just going like when i was like oh, i'm going to compete they were like oh cool oh, i just bring back double gold you know they were just assuming i was going to win um and like it frustrated me for for some time because i was still putting a lot of hard work to achieve those results it wasn't a forgiven um outcome you know you, you can never go to tournament to assume you're going to win gold I, i'd go very confident that i was going to win gold but i never went and thought wait i'm just going to walk in there and just walk out my gold medal that's not how uh, that's not how competing or uh, anything in life works. You know, you don't get given it for free. So 
Um, I put up a good one. I started winning a lot of tournaments, and I really was felt like I was dominant at the division in the UK level in particular. Uh, I hadn't really tasted uh, an international tournament. I'd never, I never competed um, at the IBJF Open or any bigger tournament until I was a brown belt. And it's probably my biggest regret um, competing-wise is that I never really competed outside the UK. But again, no one in my gym was competing at the British Open all the time. I mean, so like, like every time I tried to go and do new things, it was always like a first for my team. So it wasn't like someone was sitting there just going like, oh, let's go compete in the Worlds. A couple of the older guys had competed in the Worlds. So when I was a white belt, I think a few white belts went out to Worlds. Uh, one of our uh, guys actually medaled the Worlds a white belt. And um, But I was young then, you know, I was I was 15, 16. There's no way I was going to go home and be like, oh, man, fly me to California so I can compete in Jiu-Jitsu Worlds. I mean, that, that wasn't happening. There's no way. Um, so uh, I put up about a reason that I felt like I was starting to become a very good competitor. Um, and in a brown belt, actually, I did a U-turn. I kind of changed my approach on a lot of things because I started competing a lot more internationally. And I realized, well, now, like, I was really a big fish in a small pond. I was like, now you've got to consider the fact that there's Ashley Williamses of, like, Spain, France, Germany, uh, America. I mean, every state in America. Like, there's, there's really good guys at uh, all belt levels in all gyms across the world. And the initial factor when I started traveling to compete was getting over the fact that jiu-jitsu is the same everywhere. Like, that's the w- one thing I think that people, if you're not exposed to it, you assume, like, if someone's Brazilian, they're better than you. If they're American, they're better than you. And it's just not true. Like, jiu-jitsu is jiu-jitsu no matter where you travel. It's, like, uh, the best universal language in the world because it legitimately is the same. Every go, different gyms have different uh, styles or strengths and weaknesses. But generically, you know, it's still very, very similar. So mm-hmm. when I first started traveling, competing as a brown belt, I didn't get demoralized, but I definitely found it difficult. And then I started to come into my own then a brown belt and started to compete a lot stronger. I managed to become ranked number one in the world, uh, a featherweight brown belt nogi in the IBJF rankings. And that's when I was kind of like, oh, cool, you know, I could probably um, start to win some good stuff. But it bearing in mind up until, and then I got my black belt. But even then when I got my black belt, there was zero pro shows in the UK. Polaris didn't exist. Like, uh, Grapfest didn't exist. Nothing that Pantheon didn't exist. There was no pro shows. Cassie didn't exist. Fight to Win didn't exist. Like, uh, EBI didn't exist. So that's what I, I think people don't understand is now where you get these up-and-coming hungry guys who blues and purples going like, oh, I want to fight on, uh, on, on Polaris. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you do. I, I'm sure you do. Like, everyone does want to commit Polaris. I understand that. But, you know, sometimes just go compete and just tear up all the local scenes. Just go compete at tournaments and just win them. You know, because when I was your belt level, man, I had to travel to Scotland to get a match. You know, drive to Scotland to get a match. I put a belt, not drive two hours down the road to get a match. So, um, when I got to black belt then, and then I started competing a lot more, I was trying, you know, obviously to win uh, as many IBJF tournaments as I could. Because, again, back then, I think IBJF was the most, well, it probably still is the most prestigious things you can win. So I won the European Nogi a black belt and kind of just carried on competing. And then um, I think it was like three years ago, maybe four years ago now, uh, my kind of kind of world flipped because I got pushed into, not pushed into pro competing, but almost like I was given a lifeline by Eddie Bravo. And I say this all the time, I'm super grateful for him because um, he put up a post saying like, we want 155 competitors for Eddie Bravo Invitational um, in 
California. And I was like, well, I got nothing, you know, nothing to lose if I tag my name in it, but, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to tag myself in it. And then I just met, I put, like, um, a message in, like, our Facebook group for our members of our academy saying, oh, guys, if you could do me a favour, you could just message, uh, you could just put, tag me in his post. That'd be brilliant. And, like, three days later, he actually came into my inbox on Instagram and said, do you want in? And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> I like this is why I like I I like walking around the room with like the gym with my phone. I'm like showing like my coach and my brother. I'm like, do you think this is actually bro? Like no no like there's no way man. He's picked this phone and messaged me. That 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 has not happened. There's no way in hell that's a thing. And um I was kind of like hello. <laughs> Are you sure like you were meant like was that message meant for me? And he was like, and then he just messaged me saying like, oh man, we've never had so many requests for an athlete to be put into. EBI before, you know, in such a short space of time, if you want the spot, it's yours, and then I got an EBI, and I actually lost first match, but um, I think we got fight of the night, uh, myself and Rafael Domingos, was super, super fun fight, super tough match, and um, and that kind of just, it didn't, it kind of spurred me on, and then I just started competing way more, um, then I started, like, getting matched against world champions, like, I always remember my, my second match ever was against Sam Chantry at Black Belt, uh, I flew to Dallas. I actually flew out to Dallas for my my debut as a black belt because I was too nervous to do it closer to home. So I told I, I didn't tell anyone, and I just flew to Dallas with my my wife, and um, we did a tournament. Uh, we did the Dallas Open there, and um, I lost my gi match like two 0 to uh, I don't even know his name. I, I actually don't know to this day. I can't remember who it was. But then I fought the Nogi, and the Nogi was where I was really, really excited to be competing because I'd done well at Nogi at Brown Belt. And I fought this guy called Sam Ashantri, who happens to be three times world Nogi champion. But I hadn't looked that up, and I hadn't really known anyone at that point. I wasn't really, like, researching too much in my division. I was trying to do my own thing. And I lost him by an advantage. And I, like, walk up to the stands, I phone Chris, and I'm like, Chris, man, I think you made a mistake in my black belt. I was like, um, you know, I'm rubbish. I shouldn't, like, I want to go back to Brown Belt. It was way better then. I could just go compete and, and be comfortable. be comfortable. I could win, win a match. I was like, I'm Norton 2 as a black belt already. I'm like, that's just a terrible start. And I was really, really disappointed and upset myself. So I threw my black belt away. And I was like, ah, like, you know, just, just not do this anymore. And then he was like, who do you compete against? And I was like, ah, oh, I don't know, some guy called Sam Chantry. And he locks him up. And he goes, have you Googled him? And I was like, I was like, no. I was like, why should I Google some like nobody black belt who just give me a give me a, a whooping like you know? And he was like, no, just Google him. So I Googled him, and I was like, holy shit! I was like, man, this guy's legit. <laughs> I was like, what? So I was like, maybe I can compete a black belt. Who knows? So, and then, uh, you know, if, if you like, I I haven't had as much match as a black belt as I'd want. Um, I definitely haven't competed frequently enough, but. You know, in the UK, there's just no black belt matches to be had. And it's always kids are flying to the States to get the matches. Even in IBF European tournaments, you know, you, you I, I still can't guarantee I'd get a featherweight black belt match. So, you know, I go to the States as much as possible to compete, but still then, the massive expense is um, sometimes too much to take on, you know, all of the time. So, I, I started doing the pro shows like EBI, and then obviously they're, they're far, you know, they, they're not, frequent enough for me to be doing all the time but they gave me the high caliber opponents you know so uh when i look back to my my uh uh my heroes page where is uh, the bj heroes page um and you look at my record you know like i've got like 10 or 12 world champions on there um and 
I, although I don't hold wins over any world champions yet, I've had some really, really close losses and I've, I've performed really well against them. And I feel like uh, a lot of them now I, I could do a lot better against, you know. So um, my last couple of years, my last three years now, I've only lost one match actually per year in the last three, three years. And I've fought uh, a ton of top 10 guys and a ton of like, oh, this guy's best in Europe. This guy's like a legend of the sport. You know, I fought real tough guys in the last three years and uh, it seems to be going well now. And I definitely feel happy competing now. So I don't, like you said, a brown belt, a purple belt, I felt great. And then brown belt started to go lower and in self-esteem and find it difficult to compete. Black belt started super nervous because um, I felt like it meant everything. You know, like it's almost like an army career in MMA compared to a pro career. You know, in MMA, once you turn pro and you lose, that that could like eat you up. Where if you lose army, I feel like you can be like, ah, it's okay, it's just amateur. I'll move forward. You know, so like white to brown belt could almost be considered an army career in jiu-jitsu, with a black belt. Uh, when you start competing at the all pro tournaments, is where you really want to get those win records up because it's going to dictate whether you get another good match or whether you uh, get pushed to one side. Hmm. So all the other pro shows I've competed on now have invited me back. And that was kind of the first step to start to feel secure in myself for competing at pro level because I wanted to be at the level where they wanted me to compete on this stage, not just um, they gave me one shot and then I'm one and done, you know? Mm. Uh, so, Ash, so guys, we reached a segment of the podcast I like to call around the specifics, just a bunch of random questions, some about jiu-jitsu, some aren't about jiu-jitsu. So, Ash, when you're done chugging your coffee, do you want to do around the specifics? Yeah, let's get going, <laughs> let's get going man, yeah. Man, I seen you sipping when I was saying that, and just the look in your look in your face, you're like, <laughs> I'm, drinking some, I'm drinking some tea. Ah, <laughs> oh, tea. Sorry. Okay, so man, uh, what is your favorite gear in your collection, if you have one? Uh, my favorite gear is definitely Tommy uh, Estilo uh, gear. It's been my favorite gear for forever. Mm. Uh, what sort of one do you have? Like, what's what color is it? What accents does it have? Uh, it's the the white on white. Ooh. Uh, dude, I'm quite uh, quite partial to the white, the white on blue. Sorry, the blue on white because I have the whiteness and then all the fucking blue embroidery and the blue fucking signage. I'm like, man, this gear is fucking sick. Yeah, it is nice. Yeah. Mm. And I'm fucking gutted that I didn't get the um, the green one. You know, that had the green embroidery and stuff because oh, you know, like the, the, the like the mint looking one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you know, yeah, since... that's a nice gear. Since I'm from Ireland, I need a fucking like a bit of green and shit. I'm like, for fuck's sake, I was kick kicking myself. And shit. I've had who, who would you say is the most famous person you've rolled with, whether it be just rolling or in competition? Oh, I don't know. AJ, oh, I don't want to say AJ Agazam because I'm not big, his biggest fan, so not AJ Agazam, but not not AJ Agazam. <laughs> No. <laughs> maybe maybe Fion, like, I'm not sure. Like, um, oh, oh man. no, no, I've rolled with um, Uriah Faber. Mm. Oh man, I got the I got to roll with uh, Fion one time at a, at a seminar of one of hers, and man, she fucking wrist locked the shit out of me, and uh, I nearly cried. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's she's very very good. Yeah, man, I just felt so violated after getting wrist locked. I'm like, what the fuck? Oh <laughs> <laughs> <And> man, <clears throat> was that your favorite TV show when you were growing up? Uh, growing up, my favorite TV show would be Friends. Mm. Oh, Amen. Would you ever go see a Friends movie if they made one of them? A hundred percent, yeah. Amen. <laughs> oh, like I, I noticed something. Like, um, 
when they remove the laugh track from Friends. I, you could do this with any of any of these fucking shows. It's so goddamn uh, awkward. Every time though, someone says, "Have you seen Big Bang Theory without the laugh track? Have oh, you seen Friends without the laugh track?" I'm like, "Yes, I have. I understand <laughs> it's, it's terrible, but if you took all of the background noise and all the like, I don't know, sword effects from the Avengers, it that wouldn't be as good either. But Avengers is brilliant." Mm. No, but get this. Like, I think it that's not like super apt comparison in my opinion because there isn't like a laugh track like a laugh track is to sort of go like oh laugh now audience you fucking sheep laugh now no, <laughs> that sort of thing. you don't you don't like most of the time you don't even laugh when the laugh track's laughing it's, it's almost like just background noise that needs to be there to fill kind of silences in a room i think as opposed to like prompting you to laugh you know because sometimes you do laugh but other times i, I don't think it's like trying to tell you you should laugh now <laughs> but i'm not sure that's my opinion like man, it just feels like you've a gun to your head. Be like, laugh now, or you'll fucking yeah, die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if you are in a situation where someone has a gun to your head, be uh, like, oh, laugh now, or you should die. That situation is pretty funny, so it is worth laughing at, in my opinion. You definitely should laugh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Man, is there any sort of movie that you'd uh, consider underrated, in your opinion? Underrated. Yeah. Um. No, I, I'm not really like a movie buff, but because like, I try to, so my, my brother's really bad, not bad for this, but like he like be like, oh, it's obvious this is going to happen in a movie. He'll tell you like the whole, the kind of whole plot once it starts, you know, but I try to enjoy a movie for it. So I just sit there, just try to switch off and relax and watch a film. Um, I definitely think like, I, I love, uh, I think Coach Carter is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I don't think it's underrated, but I definitely don't think it's rated enough. Hmm. No, I get you. See, I, I sort of do what your brother does as well. Like, uh, I, I see a formula and I see there's patterns and shit. Like, if you boil the mo- movies down to a certain sort of formula, they're all pretty much the exact same. Like, uh, oh, um, uh, X happens, then Y happens. And you yeah. think you think X happened, but no, it turns out Y actually happened this whole time. Oh, my so God. I, I've been guilty of almost wa- like watching almost half a film like two years later when I've already seen the film and, and then not remember what happens. Mm. I kind of like watching it again. I'm like, have I seen this before? I don't know. And I keep watching it. And then like towards the end, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I've seen this before that happened last time. And I'm like, <laughs> so I do just try to enjoy films for, for what they are. Uh, do you ever do that when you're watching it with someone who isn't watching? Like, oh no, that guy's the killer. Like, what, oh, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, no. So we talked about this loads, like spoilers are the worst thing. So we watched, um, me, my brother, and uh, one of our best friends, Greg, we watched Game of Thrones together. So we'd, we'd actually, we'd wait three episodes. We'd wait three weeks because he lives um, in Oxford. And then he'd come down. We'd watch three episodes back to back. And then we'd wait three episodes. And then we'd go up there and watch three episodes back to back. So every, obviously, every three weeks, we'd have to try and avoid the spoilers of the previous two episodes. And with Game of Thrones, that's so hard to do. So I actually went through a phase of like unfollowing or deleting a lot of people on Facebook. Because if someone like watched an episode and immediately put up a spoiler, boom, deleting them. You know, because mm. you shouldn't you shouldn't put spoilers online unless you put like spoiler alert, especially immediately after. You know, so a few days later yeah. is what it is. Then immediately after, I think you shouldn't put spoilers. Mm. Now, see, I, I I understand completely because man, uh, see, that's it. The episodes would come out at like fucking 12 o'clock at night or 1 o'clock in the morning where I was. And I was like, fuck me. Uh, I have work at like 7 o'clock in the morning. I'll be wrecked tired. And the place is already bad enough when I'm fucking not tired. So yeah. I'd, w- I'd wait. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd skip the episode. 
and then I'd be there for twelve hour shift, and everyone would be talking about it, like, man, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up. Yeah. And you My... can't you can't refresh your phone, nothing, because you like you can't risk the fact that it's gonna pop up straight away. Mm. Or did you ever see like fake spoilers? People put up like fake spoilers to try and get like clicks and shit and attention. No, the one that I saw a few where they didn't give the spoiler, but like they put like a meme or a gif up, and I was like, that makes no sense. And then when I was watching the episode, I was like, oh, that was what, that's what the spoiler was meant to be for. And then, like, you, once you see the episode, you know why it's giving it away. Mm. Oh, one of the most more fun. Okay, just a little caveat about spoilers, my opinion. I give you 24 hours. 24 hours. If you give a shit about something, I'll give you 24 hours to fucking watch it after it's just dropped. Otherwise, you clearly didn't care enough, in my opinion. 100%. Yeah. No, after a day, yeah, I think it's fine. But do you like, like, say, like, UFC's on or uh, what, anything like that, anything like big event that's happened in the world, and, like, immediately as the result happens, you're like, boom, you post. Mm. It's like, come on, man. Like, give everyone a li- Like, some guys might just be waking up to watch it or whatever, you know? Uh, you know what? Uh, you know what I did last last UFC with uh, Khabib and Gaethje, right? Yeah. Um, I had my I had one of my friends over, and his his brother was gonna wake up and watch it the next morning. So we decided to uh, put a little prank on him. You know, do you remember when after Khabib after Khabib won, sorry, and like he was curled up on the floor in a ball, and he was like he was like crying on the floor. Yeah. We took a picture of that and sent his brother with no context to make it look like Khabib lost. And you had believed us. Yeah, he thought Khabib had lost. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you fucking cunts. And then yep. he watches it. He's like, oh, no, never mind. <laughs> one of the uh, one of the lads, Aiden, watches, um, was watching The Walking Dead religiously. And um, my coach, Chris, uh, he was like, he was like do, you, do you watch Walking Dead? I was like, nah. And he was like, do you know any characters? I was like, nope. And um, there's like obviously uh, Rick's little son. I can't remember his name. Is uh, the son in in the program? I don't actually watch it. But uh, someone said, "Oh, it's uh, Rick's son. Rick, Rick's Rick's got a son in the film in, in the series." So Chris is rolling with Aiden, takes Mount, and Aiden had an episode of Walking Dead to watch that was like a season finale. And Chris just goes, "Oh, I heard Rick's son died in the last episode of Walking Dead." <laughs> And like because I had no idea, but it was in the middle of a session, like legit, like James, like thirty minutes in the session. And then he literally's like, "No!" He's like, "Get off me!" He's going crazy. He's like trying to push Chris off Mount, but he can't get out. Chris gets off Mount, and he's like, and he's like, "Fuck this, boys!" And literally just puts his kit on, like put, puts his clothes back on, grabs his kit bag, and he's walked straight home to watch the episode. Oh man! Like what the like. Okay, first and foremost, your man's son who died, he was a little asshole in the show, and he was a terrible actor, so I don't care that that character died, whatever. And B, The Walking Dead's been on decline for the past five years, so, like, uh, it's no, no big loss. I, I tried to watch it, and it was, it was on a massive decline, yeah. And uh, yeah. But at that time, I, I didn't know if, Rick, uh, if Rick's son died or not. I wasn't sure, but um, it was just really funny. Sure, your man who played Rick doesn't even want to be in the show anymore. They, like, fake killed him off, but it's not, you know, everyone thinks he's dead, but he's not dead. It's a shit show. (laughs) In both senses of the words, it's a shit show, and it's a shit show. (laughs) (laughs) Both senses of the words. And then, uh, what was your first video game console, and what was your favorite game on it? Uh, um, It was the Nintendo 64, and I used to love the uh, Star Wars pod racing game. Hmm. Oh, dude, I remember, like, uh, this fucking the airport uh, we always had to go to when we were going you know, going abroad and stuff, fucking, there was this fucking arcade cabinet with that game in it, and it was, the cabinet was shaped like the fucking pod, pod racing thing, okay, yeah. it was so fun to fucking just hop in that when we got home from, like, Spain or Portugal or wherever, and just get a game of that before we, you know, go home. That was yeah, yeah. I, was, I got a twin brother, so, uh, like, we only, 
we'd only play like uh, co-op games or or two player games uh, through our whole childhood. So like if if we got a game and it was a one player, we just kind of like, just put it aside and not play it ever. Mm. I, I imagine you two got a lot of fun off of Mortal Kombat and stuff, just battering each other on that. Yeah, I play a lot of lot of stuff like Mortal Kombat, tech and anything like that or. Um, uh, time Crisis, like shooting games. We were really, really big on shooting games. Oh man, I remember my cousin was big into Tekken, and he'd always play his fucking Eddie doing his Capoeira shit in Tekken yeah, Three. Yeah. <laughs> I played, I played my first time playing. I played as Yoshimitsu, and I, he was, he bet me like a good nine times, but I got him once, and he got so fucking pissy that I got oh, him no one way. time. I just lorded that over his fucking I can't head remember who, who it was in 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 the gym. It was either Chris or Aiden. One of them bought the UFC game. And they took it home and uh, they they started playing and um, they asked their missus, do you want to play with me? And they said that the other half just knocked them out with like 30 seconds. And they said, well, that's the end of that. Put the controls away. Just took the desk out and then just went and sold it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. How can you live that down? That's like getting submitted. <laughs> That's like getting submitted by a, like a day one white belt. You, just, you, just, <laughs> yeah, you, have yeah. to, you have to hang it up after that. Like, no, never again. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, man, what would you say is your most embarrassing injury, whether it be a jiu-jitsu injury or a non-jiu-jitsu injury? Just the way you got injured was so fucking ridiculous. Um, I put two come to mind. Uh, one of them was probably uh, I got hit across the head with a pool cue. So this was when I was a lot younger, but my brother and one of his friends were having like a light table fight with two pool cues. And I was just, because I'm, I'm a twin, I walked in the room and they thought I was my brother. So they just swung for me, but obviously I didn't have a pool cue in my hand and I just got clonked on the head and I split the side of my head open. So that was pretty good because obviously I just got basically just killed for looking like my brother. Um, <laughs> And a second one was probably uh, like messing around with the boys, uh, like just doing like uh, fake capoeira, I suppose. And um, I went to kick my brother, and he went for like a, just a straight block, but I managed to somehow like catch my middle toe directly into his shin, and I broke my middle toe. Um, and it was even worse because obviously at that time. Or even now, I still think everyone just says, like, toes don't count. So, like, I could, like, literally not walk whatsoever. But then we would just start training 20 minutes later. And I was like, shit, man, I don't have to do. My, my toes like, 90 degrees. Like, like what do I, you know, do I just tape it next to the other one and just train anyway and see what happens? So, but I had no choice. Because I couldn't tell the boys I can't train because I broke my toe. So I just taped it next to the other one and I just trained. <laughs> uh, man, sort of for the first for, sort of one you just said about uh, you getting hit with the pool cue, man. It's a good thing, like uh, you didn't that your brother didn't owe anyone money, or else if they saw you, you're like, "There's that motherfucker there, let's get him." <laughs> uh, we we've only had like obviously we look very similar and it's very easy to remember us, but we had like a little bit of fun by being the other one uh, on on certain occasions growing up. But um, like he's a goody two shoes, so I'm safe there. <laughs> oh man like uh, i imagine it's like with the rutolo twins like someone asked them one time did you guys ever just like uh swap out when you're in a tournament so you could just fight him and they think they're in store for one game and they're gonna get another did you ever do something like that uh no well, we always like swap clothes quite a lot to try and trick people who we were uh we did it to my brother's like girlfriend growing up just to see if she know if it was him or not and oh. she was well into it. like i went like virtually on like half a date with her and she still didn't know <laughs> Some some girlfriend. Exactly. 
how did that work? I was like, oh, listen, listen. Uh, I what's your brother's name again? Uh, Josh. Uh, listen, I'm not Josh. I'm uh, Ash. Like, wait, so, no. We was at the house, so he came upstairs. I just switched clothes and went back down, and then set dinner with her. And then, like after 20 minutes, he came down. And he was like. Are you for real? <laughs> like what? Like you've been sitting here, you've been sitting with Ash for the last twenty minutes. It's not like they were going out for like two weeks. They've been going out for like a year or something, you know. So, God. <laughs> uh, would you think that would work again? Not, not, no, no, in here now. No, we, we look a little bit different. We got a bit different personality traits, and and uh, like for someone who doesn't know us. You could definitely do it 100%. But uh, for anyone who spent like any more time than like a week or two with us, uh, would tell us apart quite comfortably now, I think. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, do you speak any other languages? Yeah, I speak Welsh. Uh, give us a bit, uh, a bit of Welsh there, my man. <laughs> uh, uh, the old, do you speak a language? Now tell me something to speak. Like It must be uh -huh. everyone's pet hate when someone goes, do you speak in a language? They go, yeah, French. They're like, say something in French. Because I could make any sound right now in the world, and you'd never know if it's Welsh or not. <laughs> yeah, especially because um, Welsh is a weird language. They, they they don't even know they don't have vowels. Like it, that's what well, it looks like. It is a really it is a weird language, and it doesn't sound um like well I I like it obviously because I speak it, but uh, to anyone else it doesn't sound good at all. Uh, you got a sentence you might want me to say or? Uh, I'll heel hook the fuck out of you or something like that. I'll break your foot or some shit. But. If I was on Sam and he looked the fuck out of you, like, there's no Welsh way to say that. <laughs> you would just say, uh, do we, Mindy, he looked the fuck out of you. <laughs> like, there's no... Um, but, uh, hello, do any of you, Ashley Williams, Dream Castadley, uh, professional and um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, do any of you, and Indig Pimp Blanith. Yeah, that was like, uh, I compete, I'm a bat belt, and I've been training for 15 years. Damn it, that was the weirdest string of words I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, <laughs> well, I can't say much. I'm from Ireland. I don't even fucking speak Irish, so I can't say much. I say this all the time, man. There's loads of guys in Wales who like I compete at good levels, and they're always like, "Oh, I'm so proud to be Welsh." And I'm like, "You don't even speak Welsh. Like, how how can you be that proud to be Welsh if you don't speak Welsh? Like, I I'm all, I like I can't wait. Like, if I have a kid, I, I'll definitely send them to Welsh school because I think it's a it's a good thing to have, you know." Well, I never once claimed to be proud to be Irish. It's a fucking kip here, and if I had the opportunity, I'd move away. <laughs> no way, man. I, I, pretty much every Irish person I've met, I've always thought they were wicked people. No, man, I just don't. It's fucking cold and miserable here. I'm like, man, fuck this place. <laughs> I've only been to Ireland like two or three times for short periods, but I, I plan actually doing a semi tour up there when the world opens back up, so uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to see more of it. Mm. Ah, I can't wait to go to one of those seminars, bro. That'd be some good crack. Give me some incentive to stick around for a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, do you have any nicknames inside the gym, Renton? Uh, no, in uni it was like Drunken Monkey for ages or um, Monkey Boy because uh, <laughs> I resembled Monkey quite a lot. I turned up to training once in a monkey onesie and did a whole class. But this was when I was in university and I was drunk in a onesie, rolling for the full class, then I went out on a night out. But I wouldn't recommend that now. Like a lot of things I did when I was uh, when I was uh, training, like black buttons and pull-up and stuff, I would turn up training hungover or half drunk or because like a lot of my uni friends would like start pre-drinking at like five or six, so I would drink with them for like the first hour, then go train seven till nine, and then come back and catch up and then go out. Jesus, man, that's that's some dedication to the to jitsu and drinking, man. That's some, I'm impressed with that. Well, I I I I made a promise I'd never miss class, but I also told uh, all the guys I lived with that I wouldn't miss the sesh either, so I had to do both. 
Mm. Now that's good. Not letting anyone down and still getting your training, <laughs> get, getting your, your piss on. It's all good. Everyone's, everyone's happy then. Well, I, I went to university. I did um, a physics degree. But uh, like what I got at the end of the three years, you cannot classify at all as a physics degree because I couldn't tell you anything uh, pretty much from the whole three years. Uh, but in the first year, it was pretty much like a religious go out three times a week, every week without fail. Mm. Well, man, all you got to do is watch the Big Bang Theory for your physics and shit. <laughs> uh, you'd learn more off there than you would if you were speaking to me. <laughs> no, unlikely, because that show is fucking terrible. You don't like it? No, I, I, I used to like it, but man, I fucking I hate the shit out of it now. It's not even funny. It's one of my favorite TV programs. Um, like, one of the reasons I, I actually enjoy it the most, because um, like a lot of guys on my course actually remind me of the people in the show, like when people think there's not people in the world like Sheldon or Leonard and that, like they are wrong. Man, I was sitting in a theater with like 90 of them, like every single day for three years. You know, like they're legit, man. They exist. Jesus fuck. And I imagine they thought you were the weirdo since you weren't one of the people from the show. Hundred man, 100% on the first day. And it's really funny. I remember this like vividly on the first day. They were like, oh, with a physics degree, you can go on to do all types of cool things. And then as a joke at the end, they said, oh, one person even became an MMA fighter after doing a degree at this university. And I was sitting there like, well, this just got awkward really fast, didn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like, I got no interest in being anything to do with physics, and I want to do jiu-jitsu when I leave as soon as I can, you know? So, But everyone in the theatre thought it was funny that someone did something athletic after after the degree, and I'm saying, like, man, I think I'm black sheep then. <laughs> oh, my God. Jeez, man, the fucking MMA thing. Like, man, like, yeah. if you're going to become an MMA fighter, why would you want a physics degree? Like, no, I... Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Uh, there's not too much like crossover. Like uh, I don't, I don't know what to fucking tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, uh, do you believe? Do you believe in aliens? Uh, y- yes. As in, like, if you, I find it more logical to not believe in aliens than to believe in them. As in, do I believe there's great people who come down and do experiments on people in like Texas? No. But do I believe there is a different form of life form in the universe? Uh, there has to be. It's, it's, I don't I, like logically. It'd be it'd be stupid to believe we're the only ones. Mm. Yeah, man. I wonder how those aliens uh, do submission grappling. What's their sort of shka? I'd love to see that. Y- yeah, exactly. So that's what that's that's what I mean. Is I don't think there's probably little grey people out there doing jujitsu and barrel balling each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, imagine jujitsu in like low gravity, flying armbars beyond the table. Then I've always wanted to do a zero gravity simulation. That'd be class. Man, that'd be cool. Like, uh, did you ever see those fucking planes they used like train astronauts? They'd like fly up, and then at the apex of their flights, you'd be like weightless for like a minute straight. Just yeah. have a have a quick sub, sub only round there at the one minute mark. <laughs> yeah, it would be uh, it'd be interesting to watch. <laughs> Man, it'd be at the Polaris squads thing there, where you had like a thirty five second jiu jitsu match because that's all the time they had left after the turnover there. Yeah, that was wow, that was wicked though. To be fair, like I think. Um... It's all, that, that's a massive debate, I think, in jiu-jitsu is like the length of time compared to how exciting it is because, you know, if you've got the right athletes and you make the time shorter, you're going to get fireworks, you know, but if, mm. if the those same athletes had to compete for 15 minutes, I think there's going to be a lot of prolonged periods of, uh, like, nothing happening, you know, so I, I'm pro shorter matches. Mm. Oh, man, speaking of, speaking of the squads thing, like, how did you feel competing on the first Polaris squads? Like, how did that go for you? Like, uh, what, uh, what, how, did, how was your preparation and stuff? 
man, I, I'd honestly, I'd compete in squads every month. It was like, it was really fun. It was like, it was like so little pressure. You, you enjoyed the experience more than like you like competing a normal match ever. I was way more nervous to go compete against Tom uh, when the second squads happened when I was doing the first squads. I thought, man, it's really fun. You can go out there, you know, just jump around, do whatever you want. It's five minutes. You know, realistically, if you're doing like a guard pass and battle with someone for five minutes, you're not going to win anyway because you have to get the sub to win. Mm. So you may as well just do like rolling kimuras, jumping triangles, anything. Just have fun out there and just just give it your best goal. And um, I got to be honest, I th- I personally think if there was crowds available for squads, um, it could be one of the most exciting formats I've ever competed in. Mm. Oh, dude! Like the, that was the one thing, like all the quiet and stuff. Like I that the, I I didn't see the first uh, squads event when it was. Uh, been uh, what's it streamed but i watched the second one and man oh my god that was a great fucking event but if yep. there, you just heard the crowds going oh and fucking screaming and fucking all that shit that would have been that could have just it would have just made it better in my opinion 100 oh, and the, the one the fun thing about squads over normal tournaments is like you know similar to mma shows you get a lot of guys who purchase tickets from one fighter they go watch that one competitor compete and then they leave so the atmosphere dies you know but in squads you know like if i was competing with another seven welsh athletes I don't think it matters what team those athletes are from and the, the fans are from from their point of view. When I compete, those fans would cheer for me as well because we're part of the same team. And I think that is kind of what players are aiming for. And I definitely think it could be the best format for expected jiu-jitsu going forward. Like, man, it's it's like Quintet, but about 1.5 times better. Like, whatever about Quintet, but man, fucking Polaris squad's the way to go. That's, that was fucking awesome. For- I agree, man. Quintet is a rule, so I've never a chance to compete, and I really want to. Um, but I do think the squads format is better because every athlete gets to go, and they get to go two, three times in, in one night. You know, so it really does make it exciting for everyone. Mm. I do. I don't really think there's any downsides to the fucking uh, squads fucking format. The only like downside to the event is that there's no fucking crowds to it right now. But that's not really a downside to the rule set at all. Like, no, that, there's no downsides really. The only thing I didn't enjoy about squads uh, when I competed on it was the fact that obviously there was a lot of double eliminations and I think for a spectator to watch 80 minutes of jiu-jitsu, for example, there was only one submission in the first uh, first squad. Um, I, I think it's not about the athletes compared on the two shows. In a gi, at the end of the day, if you make uh, a couple of mistakes or if there's a slight technical difference between the two competitors, then I feel like that gap can get exploited a lot harder than in Nogi. You know, you can scramble a lot harder to get off submissions and to um, make it look more even than it is in a submission grappling match compared to a Gi. If a Gi match is more uh, one-sided, then you're going to see that, you know, because as soon as they pass your guard or they take it back, it's very, very difficult to recover. Where in submission grappling, I feel like it's a lot easier to recover your guard than... Um, uh, even if you're in a bad position, you know. So mm. uh, I definitely think, though, that, uh, you know, maybe tweaking it so that there's a ref decision and then uh, a points deci- uh, points for so bonus points for submissions and bonus points for submissions for the different weights might make it a little bit more different because then it makes both athletes. If you come up against someone who's way better than you, you haven't really got a choice to be like, oh, I'll just stall them out. You can't stall them out because you'll win the ref's decision. You're going to have to try and fight him. Mm. Uh, man, that's a pretty good way to look at it because, like, the way it is now, I think it's pretty good. But, man, improvement, 
So there's always room for improvement and shit like that. Oh, for sure. And I'm not saying that would be better. At the end of the day, every single rule set can be exploited. But from my point of view, from competing on it and watching one of them, uh, that's the change I would make to try and make it more spectator-friendly for people who maybe don't uh, haven't got the love for jiu-jitsu that you know myself or you would have. Mm. Like, man, the fucking... I've noticed this lately. Like, uh, EBI has been exploited to fuck lately. It's ridiculous. Like, you know, I'm, I... I... <sighs> You can stall for 10 minutes, like even if someone's better than you, you can stall for 10 minutes, then get given their back, depending, you know. I was told, I was, I was talking to this with my, uh, with some of the boys, uh, some of the pro team on Friday. I was like, look, at the end of the day, you know, I'm going to go out to EBI now, uh, this week, actually, I'm, I'm competing a week today, um, on, um, the combat jiu-jitsu world, lightweights. Uh, but you know, if you were anyone on that roster and you just look me up and you look at my previous match history, you just stole me out for ten minutes. You just try your best to stall me for ten minutes because statistically, I'm not I'm not brilliant in all time. It's not my strong suit because I spend most of my time trying to be good at jujitsu, not not trying to escape bad positions. You know, I don't feel like that's the most positive of jujitsu. I try to be the most offensive I can be at all times. So I'm planning on trying to win those ten minute matches. But at the end of the day, if I actually go to overtime, it's gonna be a very, very tough night for me because it's not it's an exploitation of the rule set. It's not proven who's the best at jujitsu. Mm. No, I get you, man. See, if you could time travel back to the specifics there, as we're going, sorry, went on a tangent, I did. But like, uh, if you could time travel to any historical period, where would you go and why? Man, we must have we must have debated this for hundreds of hours. It's insane. These are questions we ask you all the time. Um, if I could pick, if I had to pick. If I could pick two, it'd be the dinosaurs and uh, the Roman era. But it depends if I'm living in it or if I'm just watching it from the outsider's perspective. Mm. Uh, you can visit and show that you're going to affect stuff but you don't have to stay there and it doesn't affect the timeline you came from so it makes a new timeline so you can't erase yourself there's no bullshit it's like consequence free 100% uh, probably then dinosaurs mm. would you go get a pet, pet tyrannosaurus or something that'd be awesome yeah something like that you know run around on like riding one as a pet making a fight stuff that would be probably <laughs> that'd be the dream <laughs> make, make it step on on your the school you went to that'd be awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> Ugh. No, you do your math homework, you fucking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. But uh do you have a favorite philosophical quote at all? Uh yes, but it's too it's too long. It's the one from uh Coach Carter, the what is your deepest fear? But I, I previously learned now that that's not actually uh it wasn't written for Coach Carter, it was a quote previously by someone else. Uh but it's your deepest fear is not that we're inadequate, it's that we're powerful measure but powerful beyond beyond measure. Uh, it's not your light, uh, your dark that frightens you. It's your light. Uh, it's really long, but it's my favorite quote um, of all time, really, because I think mm. it's really, um, really strongly relates to athletes. Mm. Oh, man, we got a bit of a moral conundrum here. If you're up for it, yep. It's uh, would you rather cure cancer or solve world hunger? Uh, hunger, mm. for, sh- for sure. Like. I, I think but obviously both, if you could hit the button for both, you would. But um, what's annoying about them is that, in my opinion, hunger is actually quite easily curable because there's a lot of billionaires in this world and uh, they could probably do something about that. Um, with cancer, though, I feel like, uh, you say, like, even with the coronavirus now, you know, like, every time you cancer, disease or an illness, uh, there's going to be more and different ones that replace it all the time, where if hunger got cured, then that would be something that could be forever lasting. You know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't change the, it would change the kind of the world forever and for the better. Mm. 
And who knows, maybe one of the hungry kids will grow up to cure cancer to so get a two-for-one deal. Exactly, that would be the dream. Mm. Uh, you know, it'd be like, a, what's it, a loophole? Like, haha, I, you thought you were only giving me one, but I got the both <laughs> yeah, exactly. of them, so fuck you. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if there's... Whoever presented you this deal, uh, you can still screw them over. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> oh, man, in your professional opinion, do you think you could pull off a handlebar mustache? Not a chance in hell. <laughs> Jesus, man, that, that's the easiest question I've ever answered in my life. And even if I try to, my, I'm telling my wife would shave it off in my sleep. Like, no, there's no way I can do that. I bet you she'd like do the waxing to rip it off just to add an <laughs> extra bit of pain I, so you no, never do it again. She'd put it on so I had to wake up and rip her off myself, I think. That's what she would do. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I blame her. <laughs> okay, uh, we reached the last question. If you're ready for the last question, it's uh, a. <clears throat> what would you say your jujitsu spirit animal is if you have one? Um, uh, I don't say. I think honey badger is probably like one of the most common ones because it's the, it's the one that like obviously they're just relentless and they fight everything like everything and anything that the animal king. I mean, they 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 literally like don't back down. You know, like. Um, yeah, so, so, something like that, you know, like an animal that is quite fearless in its approach and uh, it's quite relentless. I'd say so. A honey badger is probably a good one, um, or a, a monkey or a chimp. I think chimpanzee would be the dream if you were, you know, if you could convert an animal to jujitsu. A chimpanzee would win everything, I think. Mm. Okay, so guys, thanks for listening to the episode. If you want to follow Ash on any social media, it's A Williams BJJ. It's just A Williams BJJ, right? I'll have it linked in the description anyway, guys. So, like, if if you can't figure out how to type A, Williams, BJJ, and Instagram, whatever. <laughs> man, is there anyone you want to shout out at all? Uh, no, just my to Tommy Fightway as my sponsor, as always. Um, and uh, just anyone who's supported me from a career, it's always appreciated. And if you listen to this, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, if not, I'm sorry you wasted an hour and ten minutes of your life. <laughs> well, an hour and one because the guys are recorded ten minutes in. Uh, so, I it's go, only, okay. so it's only an hour of your life that's been wasted. An hour of your life like has been wasted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so guys, if you like the episode, be sure to follow me on Instagram at Humanzi Humanzi Jitsu Sorry, Humanzi Jitsu Podcast. Follow my co-host Con Gracie, Shawnee Judo Jits. You know, if you have an idea for an episode, send our way. Or if you want someone on, suggest them. It's all good. So, Ash, you've entered the same before we shoot off? No, just thanks for having me, man. It was really fun. Mm. All right, thanks, guys. Adios. <laughs>